Well, I'm Greg Fraser. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at the Father's House, and we're just grateful that you're all gathered here today. It's a great celebration, and uh, we're so excited. Not only are we have people from the school here, we have Bon Accord here, and, uh, and we have the Mournville uh, Church family here. So it's a great time to be together to celebrate, and today I want to talk about the feast, the feast. And uh, I'll talk about food a lot. No, I won't, but uh, I'll, I'll keep you going. Last week, I talked uh, a little bit about, we've been in this series called He Shall Reign. And uh, what we talked about was that uh, really Jesus came and he had two specific names that were given to him. He was called Jesus and he was called Emmanuel. And uh, we sang about both of those names today. And of course, Jesus means, the name means the Savior. Or I am salvation is actually what his name physically means. And Emmanuel means God with us. And so really what we found out was that Jesus Christ came to not only to bring salvation, which means to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to do well by and to make people whole. But he also comes to live with you and I and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the power that brings and makes that salvation available. And so not only does Jesus come and abide in you, this is what it means when you ask Jesus to come into your life, he comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and literally indwells within you and begins to change you from the inside out. And uh, that's what makes uh, Christianity different than every other religion in the world in that you come into relationship with God and through that relationship, God begins to transform your life. And how many of you know that takes a lifetime it takes a lifetime of walking with God to see those changes come to pass. But I'm going to tell you, it does work. But today I want to talk about something a little bit different. As we talk about the feast, I want to talk about from Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ, this one that we're talking about, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why is that important for you to know? It's important for you to know because if we get to know who and what he was like in his first coming, who he was then is also who he is today. And if you know what you can bank on in your life when it comes to your relationship with God, you can begin to build from that point forward and say, God, I know this to be true of you because I saw it in your first coming and you're the same today and you'll be the same tomorrow in all the days of my life. That's a good thing for us to know. But let's pray so that we can understand. And I want us to get today that we're going to start with a feast on the person of God before we have a feast in just a little while. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit. Hallelujah. Lord, this is your show, actually, and we just bless you and thank you, Father God, for your goodness. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you today. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we will know the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the overwhelming nature of who you are to us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why is our understanding of who God is critical? Do you know that you, you really, the, really the, the single most important thing in your life is your idea about God and all of its related images? 
We live at the mercy of our ideas, especially our ideas about God. And if you don't think that's true, I want you to think about the world. Do you understand that the world today is driven in much part by their ideology or their thoughts as to who God is? Large portions of the world, actually all of the world, if you really want to be understanding of that, even if you're an atheist, you don't believe there's a God. Well, that's your belief in God. Your belief is there is no God. So it drives how you think. For the believer, uh, the Christian, we see the Christian God, we see Jesus Emmanuel, it drives how we think. For the Muslim, for the Buddhist, all of these people are driven by what they think about God. So this conception or this understanding of God is critical. It's critical for you today to grasp that. You see, if God is fuzzy or in vague or impersonal, it follows that your relationship with God will be fuzzy vague and impersonal. That's really what it's about. See, some of our pictures with, of God, listen to me, some of our pictures of God make intimacy with God very difficult. Because we see God as distant, aloof, not involved in my life, not present in my present reality. And uh, so therefore, we just that's how we think God is. But I want to tell you, that's really not who God is. But I want you to get, you know, really when this comes to pass, and I want you to understand when this really hits home, is who are you like in your life, or a better way to put it is, what's your picture of God when life breaks in around you? Who's God to you? My wife and I uh, were in the hospital on Friday visiting uh, two different families. And it was interesting to us because... Um, one had a very vibrant faith and one did not. And it was interesting, the perception of the one who did not have a vibrant faith, how they related to what they were going through, how disconnected from God they felt, how angry even at God they felt. And the person with the very vibrant faith, it was amazing, they were surrounded by their family and it was a palpable difference even in the room. Uh, of how they approached what they were going through. And let me tell you, they were going through some very, very deep suffering in their life. So what's your picture of God when life breaks in around you? Here's the truth that I want you to get about God. Number one is this. No matter what we think about God, he is always greater. No matter what you think about God or what you think you know about God, he is always bigger. He is always Moorish. He is always larger. He exceeds your understanding in every case and in every way, always and forever. You need to get that about the God that you know because you don't really know him as well as you think you know him. So that tells us that we need to be humble because there's far more to discover. We serve a very, very, very big God Listen to me. Okay, this is critical. God is bigger than your experience of him. <laughs> He's bigger than that. You know, God is bigger than your church culture. He, he's bigger than this. He exceeds this. He's far beyond this. He's bigger than your theology. <laughs> You may think that you can study God and I've got God figured out. Oh my goodness, you don't. 
You do not. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than your country. He's bigger than your culture. He's bigger than this world. He's bigger than this universe. All things are held together by him and for him and through him. He is outstanding and amazing and astonishing. Hallelujah. That's who your God is. I love the story in Exodus 33. And I'm not going to bring up the scripture, but I'll just tell you the story. In Exodus 33, Moses has been walking with God for 40 years. 40 years. And and not just walking with God, but the Bible says that he spoke to God as a man or a friend speaks to a friend. The Bible says he stood actually face to face with God, but God was always covered in a veil. And and, and I'll explain that in a minute. God was always covered in a, a cloud. So Moses couldn't actually see him, but he's literally standing there talking to him. Incredible. So at the end of his life, Moses goes for broke and he asks God for three specific things. By the way, this is a great prayer. You can find this in Exodus 33. You have to dig around it to figure it out, but this is how I've kind of put it together. He says, first of all, God, um, you know, uh, teach me your ways that I might know you. How many of you know that's a good prayer? God, teach me your ways. How many of you know, listen to me, church, how many of you know you can know somebody's will by reading a book, but you cannot know their ways unless you have a relationship with them? You can read about carpentry, but when you hang out with a great carpenter, you learn their ways. Does that make sense? So Moses prays this starting prayer, and he says, teach me your ways, God, that I might know you. And then what he's saying is, I want to be able to teach your ways to your people. So God says, okay, I'll give that to you. So then he goes to the next one. He says, well, God, um, let your presence go with us so that all the nations of the world will know that you are God. And uh, how many of you know that you are the, the presence of God marks, the, you know, when God's presence is there, there's healing, there's life, there's joy. You know, you experience during worship, something's happening. You're like, why do I feel so good when I come to this church? What's happening? That's the presence of God. And so it's a good prayer, is it not? To say, God, let your presence go with me. Because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. So we should be marked by the presence of God if we're following God. Amen? So good prayer, Moses. Good way to go. Check two. God says, okay, yeah, my presence will go with you. So, so far, so good. And then he goes for broke and he says, God, show me your glory. I wa- what he's saying is, I want you to take the veil off. I want you to remove the cloud and I want to see you. And so that's where we are in the story. Let me just pick up what happens. The Lord said to him, this is Exodus 33, 19. It won't be on the screen. Listen carefully. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have a compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. There the Lord said to him, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock and when my glory passes by, I will put my, you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand as I pass by and I'll remove it so that you can see my back, but you cannot see my face. Now, church, I want you to understand, you, you may have been in services 
where the presence of God was so real, it felt palpable. Okay? And you're like, wow, 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 God is here, God is here. That is not the glory of God. That's just the presence of God. But the glory of God is the unveiled experience of seeing the living God. And that's powerful. So Moses asks for this experience. And I want you to catch a couple things. Number one is this. God's told him something. He said, Moses, when you see me, you're actually going to see my goodness pass in front of you. Church, I want you to get something. God is so good <laughs> that his goodness would kill you. <laughs> Do you it's not like my, my sovereign power will destroy you. No, no, no. My mighty mightiness will kill you. No, it's, I'm so good. <laughs> I'm so good that if you just experience and see the fullness of my goodness, you will die. You say, come on, Pastor Greg. Is that true? Remember the Apostle John? His whole life, he hangs out with Jesus he says, uh, you know, the Bible says of him, the one whom Jesus loved, he had this special place in God's heart. He's hanging out with God all his life. He lives to be an old man in his, in his mid-90s, maybe. And, uh, he say, and God suddenly shows up and he, he hears a voice speaking behind him and he turns around and he sees Jesus for the first time. Remember, his whole life, probably since he was 17, he's been walking with God. He's the Apostle John, the Apostle of love. He turns around and he sees God for the first time and he says, hey, how's it going, Jesus? It's not what he said. The Bible records he fell at his feet as though he was dead. <laughs> How good is God? How big is God? How amazing is your God? He's bigger than you know, church. Later on in the story, we're going back to Moses now. Jesus uh, is standing, or comes by, the, 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 unveils his glory to Moses as he walks by. And I love what he says. As he passes by, he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children to, their, uh, to the third and fourth generation. So let me just tell you the things that I just listed in this text. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord is gracious. The Lord, the Lord is slow to anger. The Lord, the Lord is abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord is maintaining love to the thousand generations. The Lord is forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sins. And he's judging those things that are outside of his understanding or not his understanding, but his presence. Now of that list of six things I just list, what's the one you're stuck on? Probably for most of you, if you're honest, it's judgment. It's incredible. I just did the list of all these incredible things. God's forgiving, God's loving, God's merciful, God's compassionate. But he's going to judge some things that are not good. Oh, I knew it. See, that was the Israelites, you guys. 
So, because Moses comes down from being in that presence of God, God's speaking those things over him. The Bible says he's literally radiating the glory of God so much so that people can't even go near him. He has to wear a bag over his head. And they're like, you go talk to God. We don't want to talk to God. You, it's too scary to see his glory. Because they didn't get the first six things. They only got the last thing. So they stayed away from God. So God had a problem, church. People didn't get him. <laughs> he didn't get them. Right? We look at God and we don't really fully understand or appreciate who he is. So God says, you know what? I need, to, I need to tune this lens in. I need to take the lens of the camera. It's fuzzy. It's not complete. They're not seeing as they should see. And he focuses the lens. And guess what you see when he focuses the lens? Jesus. He says, I need to come to earth and reveal to people who I really am. You see, here's truth number two. God is Christ-like. Hallelujah. I love this quote. It's by Michael Ramsey. And uh, it says this. God is Christ-like, and in him is no unchrist-likeness at all. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury. God is Christ-like, and in him is no unchrist-likeness at all. In other words, what he's saying is, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God of all gods. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't have to wonder. You're just not getting the picture clear when you're reading the Old Testament. But in Christ, you see the fullness of who God is. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 1 says this, the Son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. Wow. You see the sun, you see who God is. The Bible calls Jesus Christ the Alpha and the Omega. And if you want that in modern language, he is the A to Z. He's the A to Z. And what that means, he is the express vocabulary of God. The Bible calls him the word of God. And as the word of God, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the middle, he's the fulfillment of all things. He is all the alphabet. He's all of it together as a revelation of who God is in your life and in my life. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, later on in Jesus' ministry, and you can read about this in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and he's going along, and after six, he says to, the, to Peter and to John and to James, come with me, we're going to go up on the mountain and pray. And they come with him to pray. This is awesome. And guess what happens? Jesus becomes glorified. The Bible says his clothes become as white as dazzling, brilliant sunshine. You can't even look at them. And, and all of a sudden, Moses shows up with him. And Elijah. So Moses is the giver of the law. Elijah's the consummate prophet. So the law, the prophets, and now Jesus, the measure of grace. The three of them are standing there. And Peter is like freaking out, scared, terrified. He says, do you want us to set up a tent for you three? Like, like what? Crazy. Moses is standing there. Elijah is standing there. And Jesus is standing there. And they're in their glorified state. So do you understand the glory of God is now on Christ? Are you with me? They come down the mountain. 
And this is what the scripture says in verse 15, chapter 9 of Mark. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Do you see a difference from what happened when Moses came full of the glory of God? As what Jesus came full of the glory of God? Okay, 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 this is getting crazy. Ready for this? Do you remember when, when God said, there's a rock on which you can stand and I can then pass by you with my glory if you're on that rock? Do you remember that? Well, who is the rock that God says we can stand upon? Jesus is the rock. He's the cleft in the rock and he's saying, guys, I can show you in measure a little bit at a time the glory of God to the point where it begins to change you. And that's why you need to invite Christ into your life, church. That's why you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because it's the only way you're gonna be changed. Religion wants to change you from the outside in. It doesn't work. It never has. It never will. But Jesus Christ can transform you because you can hide in the rock while he reveals a portion of the glory of God to you. And in Christ, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we see the face of God. Wow. I hope that makes sense for you. You see, you can see the glory of God in Christ now, church, because you've not been appointed to suffer wrath, but you've been appointed to receive salvation. Hallelujah. There's a change in covenant, church. There's a change in the way we approach God. There's a change in how I can go to God now and say, God, change me, transform me. God, I'm so distant, I'm so broken, I don't see you correctly. God, give me a clear picture of who you are. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better, God. Because I need to be changed. Without you, God, I don't have any hope. See, as we look at Jesus, we learn some truths. The greatest and first and foremost truth is this. He is love incarnate. He's love. He's not judgment. He's not anger. He's not wrath. He's love. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son as a gift that anyone who believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that good news, church? Betty, you want to grab me a tissue? I'm leaking here. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. I'm getting too excited. <laughs> oh, if you only knew what I don't say when I get up here, you'd be really impressed with me. Hallelujah. God is love, church. You see, our discipleship, listen to me very carefully, our discipleship is wrong at times. You know what we teach? And I don't so much think we teach it here. I hope we don't. But we teach it in many places. It's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, which is accurate and correct. It's the word of God. But do you understand that the foundation of that love is not my loving God, 
But the foundation of that love is that God first loved me. And if I don't get that part right, if I don't get that truth correct, if I start by trying to pursue God, by showing him being impressive, oh God, look at how much I love you. God's like, man, you don't love me. You don't even have a clue about love. Why don't you let me love you? Let me love you. And if I can love you, then you can start to love yourself. And you can really start to love others. And then you can love me in return. Amen? I love it. Guys, listen to me. How much does God love you? Revelations 13.8 says this. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, it says, was slain before the foundations of the world. Do you know what that means? Even the fact that you were created, your life is owed to the love of God. You wouldn't even have breath or life or existence if God hadn't planned from eternity past to say, you know what it's going to take in order to create a, ma- a people and create a species of people who are going to defy me, who are going to be broken, who are going to be separated, who are going to live and be sinful in order to rescue them. Before I even build this, I know that I'm going to have to die for them. And the Bible says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and delighted himself in saying, I will still build man. I will create them, even though I have to die for them. Wow. How many of you know that's love? That's love, amen? How do we know that? Just, just understand this, church. I love this, Isaiah 49. He's talking about, you know, the Israelites are complaining, oh, God has forsaken me, God has left me, God's not here. And and he says, listen, you guys, even if your mother forsakes you, even if the woman who bore you forsakes you, I will never forsake you. The Holy Spirit gave me a picture of that one day. And this is what I saw, and I've shared this in the past with you, but I'll share it again. What I saw was a young man wearing a baseball cap and he was cuffed. He was handcuffed and the RCMP had brought him forward to his parents' house and they knocked on the door and he had his head down because he had his baseball cap on and the RCMP said, son, we've, our, our parents, to the parents, we've caught your son again. He was shoplifting. You know, just a lit- litany of things. What do you want us to do with him? And, you know, what forsaking means is this. The parents answered the police, we don't have a son. And they shut the door. That's forsaking. God said, even if your parents forsake you, I will never forsake you. How many know that's love? That's love. And then he goes and he says this. Though you, she may forget you, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you onto the palm of my hands and your walls are ever before me. You know what he's saying? God tattooed you onto his hand. I don't have tattoos. But I, I think that would hurt. Anybody with tattoos? Would that hurt to engrave the palm of your hands? Yeah. Yeah, it would. And what that means, every time God touches his hand, who's he thinking about? 
you. Everything he grasps, oh, that hurt. Oh, Jesus, I remember, I remember. I remember Greg's life. I remember. Every touch. And I love this thought. Everything that touches us, touches him. Hallelujah. God is gracious. God is merciful. I, I didn't go through any of these. God is kind. God is strong. God is compassionate. God is good. God is joyful. I love this quote. We will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. God also knows sorrow. Jesus is remembered, among other things, as a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, like the anger of God, is a temporary response to a fallen world. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day the world is set right. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is his eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the universe. Is that your God? Maybe you need to grow a bit, eh? Church, we're building a church. School parents, we're building a school. We're building a church. In a few minutes, you're going to be able to have dinner together and celebrate. And if you're not here able to give an offering, that's okay. But the offering is not even so much about building the church and building the school and, and doing the things that we're doing. You know what it's about? It's about displaying the glory of God. That people would sacrifice their hard-earned money to build a temple, a church, so that other people can find this God and find their way home to this God is incredible. It's but a small token of our worship to him to say, God, you are so good. You are so loving. We're building something that will display his glory to a lost world. Let's feast in a few minutes on his presence as we feast on this great food that has been provided for us. I want to pray one last prayer and close with a story. I got two minutes. A man was uh, in, on his sick bed and he was not doing very well. He was uh, dealing with some very bad physical issues. And a friend came to visit him in the hospital. And he was lamenting to his friend saying, you know, I haven't lived a good enough life. I haven't, I haven't sacrificed enough. I haven't done enough for God. You know, it's amazing uh, how you never worry about work when you're on your sick bed. You worry about the big things, the eternal things, the things that matter most. And so he's lamenting this story, he's sharing with his friend about how, how, how he's not done enough for God as he's preparing to go into eternity. And his friend answers him and thinks for a moment, and he says, you know, we just had a little baby boy, and uh, I'm going to tell you, that little baby boy, he keeps me up at night. He wakes up all the time, he's crying, and he wants to be fed. And that little baby boy, you know, if he wants what he wants, he just cries out for it, and, you know, we are going to do everything we can to meet him. And he doesn't care. Listen, you know, my little baby boy doesn't care if I'm sick. He doesn't care if I'm not feeling good. 
He's still demanding. He's still crying out. He's still always wanting his way. He still needs his bottom changed. And even if I was to die, the man said to his friend in the bed, even if I was to die tomorrow, I'm going to tell you this little baby would forget me and forget that I even existed. But he said, you know, it doesn't matter to me because I would lay down my life for that little boy and I would give my all for him, even though he is demanding and he hasn't paid anything back to me in turn. And the man on his sickbed said, oh, I see. It's not my love for God that matters. It's his love for me. This is the message of Christmas church. God so loved you that he gave his son that you might find life and life abundant and life eternal. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I felt strongly today as I was just finishing and praying for you this morning that there would be some people here today that need to make a decision to invite God into their life. And if that is you here today, the Bible says that Jesus has come all the way to you. He's knocked on your heart, but you have to open up your heart to him. He will not take that last step unless you invite him in. And if that is you here today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I had to make this decision some 30 years ago just before my 21st birthday, to say, God, come into my life, be my savior, and be Emmanuel to me. And I tell you, the weight of the world was on my hand, but when I lifted my hand and said yes to God, the weight of the world left me. And if that is you here today, and you want to invite Christ into your life, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I believe there are people here today that need to make a decision for God. Don't try to think that you have to change yourself. Don't try to think that you have to be more religious. Just surrender. Give up and give in to God. And if that is you here today, your act of faith is to raise your hand and give me a wave. I want to see that hand. Yes. Are there others that would join this one that has raised her hand? Hallelujah. 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 God, thank you for this one that has raised her hand. And together, God, we pray a blessing upon her that she will say, God, come into my heart, come into my life, set me free from my sin that I might live for you and live with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God would do this whole thing for that one person who raised their hand today. Let's give her a hand today, amen? <laughs> Pastor Peter's gonna come now and give us some instructions about the feast that we're about to feast on, but I want you to keep digesting the word of God while you digest the glorious meat product that God is providing for you. Amen?
God bless you. Amen. What a blessing to feast on the love and the goodness of God. And it kind of just feels right that we would kind of finish off by feasting. Hey? <laughs> All right. So just a couple of instructions for you, church. Um, I've already mentioned to a few people that have said, oh, my goodness, I, I, you know, I didn't come prepared to give. I don't know if I can stay. If that's you this morning, please stay. Please stay. This is so much more than a fundraiser meal. This is a celebration. This is a celebration of God's love, his goodness. This is a celebration of Christmas. Uh, we're not having turkey today, but this is a celebration, and we want you to stay and to celebrate with us. Um, for those of you who have come prepared to give, we've already taken up our general giving, our offering, but we're doing a fundraiser. And the special fundraiser is uh, to raise funds for our kitchen, um, and that is the design, the layout, the appliances, the tools, the essentials, everything that goes into that new kitchen in our building. And we're raising money for audiovisual. And so everything up here, uh, the lights, the equipment, the, the soundboard, the mixer, all of that, we're raising funds for those things as well. And so again, um, we are going to have uh, two people up here with iPads, and they can take credit card payment. There's going to be buckets up here. Um, we can take check. We can take cash. Some of you might say, you know what? E-transfer is fantastic. Uh, all those options are listed in the middle of the table on a card. You can email give at tfhchurch.ca if that's what you prefer. Um, but we're going to see uh, which of these ministries raises the most funds today. Awesome. Um, also, before we take part in the meal, uh, for those of you who have kids in our Mighty Explorers ministry in the back rooms, first thing you need to do, uh, we're not taking care of your kids while you have lunch. <laughs> well, that might be cool. I'd take advantage of that. Um, please go and get your children before you line up for the meal. That would be appreciated. And the way that we're going to do this today is we're going to do two big lines we're not going to dismiss tables. It's just everybody's going to line up at the same time. Uh, one of the lines is going to be right here along the front of this. Oh, wait, wait. Kitchen coordinator is waving her hands. Down the middle, Kate? I had it exactly wrong. Okay, two big lines right down the middle, and then you can come this way on either side. On both sides of the table. So don't just uh, go for one side of the table. Both sides of the table. Can I just pray for the food? Hold on, everybody. We got, this is so important to pray for the food. Yeah. Okay. Well, God, we just thank you so much for the feast. God, thank you that we were to feast on your presence, God, in praise and worship this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you that we could feast on your presence as we received the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your immensity, your vastness, your bigness. God, you are more, you are greater, and we feast on, on your power, your purpose, your plan for us, your goodness. God, thank you. And Lord, for this opportunity now to feast on a meal and uh, to raise funds for our new building. God, in all these things, we say thank you, and the whole church said, amen. All right, go get your kids, and immediately, I think we're ready. You can line up right down the middle of the room. Again, both sides of the tables. Thank you.